Mark 13 uh, is a portion of scripture that is considered the Olivet Discourse. It can be found in detail in Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. Uh, Luke, uh, the doctor, the physician, uh, wrote his own version of these words in Luke chapter 21. Uh, these words, the majority of these words, uh, were spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ to his disciples while, while they were sitting on the Mount of Olives facing the temple. Uh, this is the longest prophetic message of Jesus, and this is the greatest prophetic message of Jesus. So it's only right that when we come to this portion of Scripture, we label it Jesus' great prophetic message. These profound words about the future were spoken just a few days before our Lord's death, burial, and resurrection. So Jesus wanted his disciples to know about the future. He wanted to make sure that they knew how to live in light of God's plan for the future. And that reminds us that prophetic truth Truth about the future is designed for godly living. It's not designed for our curiosity. It's not designed for us to bicker and argue. Jesus speaks prophetic truth because he wants his followers to live godly lives. The Olivet Discourse was given all at once by the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though we are breaking it up into three sections, we're doing that for convenience sake. But the reality is that when Jesus spoke these words, he spoke all of them at once. Part one we saw last Sunday is found in verses one through 13. And in those verses, Jesus, first of all, predicted the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. The disciples were all excited about the temple. Our Lord has spent a lot of time in the temple. But Jesus, responding to the excitement of the disciples, tells them that not one stone will be left upon a stone and not uh, there won't be any stones at all that won't be torn down when you look at this beautiful, magnificent temple. So Jesus predicted the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And that came to pass some 40 years later. In A.D. 70, that temple was destroyed, demolished, where not one stone was left upon another stone. So when Jesus predicts, he's not just speaking into the air. He is letting us know what will actually come to pass. Also in that passage in verses 5 through 13, uh, we saw that Jesus predict the beginning of birth pains. Now, he uses that analogy to point out that in a future time, 
and is still future, even for us, in a future time, in the beginning part of the tribulation period, there will be false pretenders who think they are the Messiah. There will be cataclysmic events, and there's going to be persecution. So Jesus predicts that, and we know that it will come to pass just like he predicted the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. But when Jesus speaks these things, even though they're future to the disciples, as far as these cataclysmic events, the famines, the earthquakes, etc., he says you need to live in light of that reality. And so when he talks about persecution, when he gives a theology of persecution, it's not just for those who live in the future in that time, it's for you, it's for me, so that we might know how to live in the troubling times that we find ourselves. But this morning, we turn to verses 14 through 23 of the Olivet Discourse. That is our focal point, and that's what we want to spend time looking at. And in these verses, Jesus makes another uh, prediction. He predicts the abomination of desolation. That's what he predicts is going to happen sometime in the future. Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, the two sets of brothers, had asked Jesus when Jesus said that the temple would be destroyed, they asked Jesus, when will this be? And what will the sign be? But Matthew adds and says that they wanted to know when would Christ come again and when will the end of the age be? And in our text, Jesus addresses that aspect. When will Christ come again? When will the end of the age come? Jesus says the sign is the abomination of desolation. That is going to signify that things are, quote, wrapping up as far as the coming of Jesus again and leading us into a future time. So the event that Jesus predicts is identified as an abomination. It's identified as something that is disgusting, something that is loathsome and detestable. Whatever this abominable event is, it's going to lead to desolation. It's going to lead to destruction. It's going to lead to a wasteland. It's going to lead to a desert, so to speak. And Jesus states in Matthew 24, 15, that this event was spoken of by Daniel, the prophet. And I believe that's why Jesus himself says, let the reader understand. He, he's saying to the reader, make sure you understand what Daniel said in Daniel chapter 11, verse 31, in chapter 12, verse 11. 
where Daniel uses this exact phrase, the abomination that of desolation, the abomination, the disgusting thing that leads to destruction. Now, we're not going to look at Daniel, but it is interesting that in time and history, there was a foretaste of the abomination of desolation. In 167 B.C., there was an individual by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes, and he built an altar upon the altar that existed in the temple. So he builds an altar upon God's altar and has the audacity to slaughter a pig on that altar. And Jews saw that as a foretaste of the abomination of desolation. As Jesus describes it in our text, he says that when you see this abomination that leads to desolation, there's going to be basically something standing where it should not stand. And he's not talking about an altar. He's talking really about a man. When the abomination of desolation takes place, a man will stand somewhere where he should not stand. Paul helps us with this event. He writes in 2 Thessalonians 2, 4, these words. He said that this man who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God, our object of worship. So that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Paul said there's going to be a future time where there's going to be a man who takes his seat in God's temple. At this time, the temple will be rebuilt. And this man will take his seat in God's temple, and he's going to stand against anything related to God or associated with God. And he's going to exalt himself over anything related to God and associated with God. And he will have the audacity not only to do that, but he is going to proclaim with his own mouth, I am God. That's the abomination of desolation that Jesus is referring to. That in the middle part of the tribulation period that is in the future, at the three and a half year point, there will be a man who goes into the rebuilt temple and that man will proclaim himself that he is God. And God's response is that he will be disgusted he will see it as detestable. He will see it as an abomination for any human being to have the, the nerve to suggest that he, in any way at all, is greater than God or that he is God. And, and Jesus says, when you see that, when you see that horrific event, that's a sign to you that the second coming of Jesus Christ is near. 
and it's a sign to you that the end of the world is coming. So this event is something that happens in the future. It happens when the church is gone. We're raptured. We're in heaven. But after that, there is a tribulation period. And we saw parts of that tribulation period with the birth pains, the beginning of the birth pain. But in the middle part of that seven-year period, there will be a man known as the Antichrist. There will be a man who's known as the beast out of the sea, who's going to form an alliance with another beast and with the devil, and they will be the unholy trinity. But this man will go into the temple and parade himself around and display himself as God. And our Lord says to his disciples, it's to us, he says to everyone, that's a sign that Jesus Christ is getting ready to come back to earth again. We know that he's already come once, but he's coming again back to earth to set up his kingdom. So in light of that, when we look at the rest of these verses, we gain four insights into this horrific, disgusting, and detestable event known as the abomination of desolation. First, it will be a time of extreme danger. Time of extreme danger. At the beginning of verse 14, our Lord says, when you see. But then, when we get to the middle part of verse 14, he says, then. When you see this happening, then... This is what must take place. And he gives three commands. And these three commands, at the heart of them, they're conveying the fact that this will be a time of extreme danger. And the first command is given at the end of verse 14. It's a command to flee. So when this event takes place, the, the people of God, are not to rebel. They're not to do that at all. They're not to resist. They're to run. They're to get out from where they are. They are to take off running. They are to be fugitive and go to the mountains of Judea, that broad area where Jerusalem is a part of, but go to the mountains for safety and to go for, for refuge. Then an associated command is to the one who's on the rooftop. Now, don't think about your rooftop. Think about the rooftop in Jesus' day. That was livable space that from the outside you could walk up to the rooftop and hang out, so to speak. And Jesus says to those individuals who are on the rooftop, you, you must make sure that you don't come down from the rooftop and enter your house to get things for you as you run away. That is, when you run away, 
when you flee, don't worry about getting anything out of your houses. You know how it is sometimes when there are major fires and they're saying evacuate. And people go into the houses and get things that are precious and special to them. And Jesus says, when you see this abomination of desolation, flee. Don't you dare go into your house and get things that you think you might need. You run without having gathered anything. And then he gives them another command. And that command is to the one who's in the field. And, and, and the person who's in the field must make sure that he doesn't turn back and grab his cloak or his outer garment, but instead he flees. Now, the outer garment, the cloak, was basically used for warmth. It kept you warm. And so when a person was working in the field, they take off that outer cloak and either left it at home or left it on the edge of the field. And Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation, don't you dare return and go back and get your cloak. You got to run. You got to flee. You got to get out of there without any outer garment at all. So all of these commands let us know that this time when the abomination of desolation takes place, it will be a time of extreme danger. But not only that, it will be a time of unusual hardship. Unusual hardship. And that's mentioned in verses 17 and 18. The times will be difficult. And as we read these verses, verses 17 and 18, we see that Jesus pities pregnant mothers and nursing mothers. Because they're going to have a responsibility during that time to also flee. And Jesus pronounces a woe. He says, woe to those who are with child and to those who nurse babes in those days. That this is not the woe of condemnation. This is the woe of compassion. This is not the woe of pain, but the woe of pity. Jesus is expressing pity to pregnant mothers and to nursing mothers, crying out compassion upon them. Why? Because the last thing that you want to be doing as you're fleeing and running away, you don't want to be pregnant. Pregnant women do not run fast. And even though I've seen some on the track, etc., they never win. Uh, we see that they're pregnant and we're impressed that they're running. But, but you don't want to be fleeing and running when you are with child. And neither do you want to be running or fleeing when you have the responsibility of nursing a baby. That, that doesn't really go together. You, you can't be nursing and running, so to speak, at the same time. And so Jesus has pity on 
pregnant mothers and nursing mothers. Because when this abomination of desolation takes place, it will be difficult. And they will face extreme difficulty in seeking to get out of there as fast as they can. But Jesus moves from pity to, to prayer in verse 18. He prescribes prayer since it will be a time of unusual hardship. Look at what he says in verse 18. Pray. Pray. In times of despair, in times of difficulty, in times of hardship, he says, pray. And when he is saying pray here, he's saying to your the disciples, he's saying to us, pray that this future event won't happen during the winter. Jesus is saying more than just pray in general. Some of us do pray in general. We just say, God bless me, God bless that person. But Jesus is talking about specific prayer, particular prayer. He's saying, pray that this may not happen in the winter. And he's not talking to the people who are experiencing it. It, it has already happened for them. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to you and me. He's saying in light of what the future holds, pray that the abomination of desolation will not happen in the winter. Why? Because you don't want to be fleeing and running when it's cold and when it's raining. You don't want to have to encounter streams that are full of water. I know for my daughter in one of her biggest races, she lost because she was running and preparing to run in the rain and in the cold. It affected her. And Jesus is saying, pray. Pray, church. Pray, Krishna, that this abomination of desolation doesn't happen in the winter. Because it will be difficult for those who live at that time. It will be difficult for the people of God to run and to flee and to get out of there. But I just like the fact that Jesus, in the midst of talking about difficulties, in the midst of talking about hardship, reminds us of the fundamental truth that we need to be praying, not generally, but particularly. And some of you right now might be going through a hardship and a difficulty. And the human tendency is, is for us to despair. But Jesus say, says, what we need is prayer. We need to pray. Not just about this matter, but about the matters that are going on in our life. And we need to be particular and precise and get to the exact point of what we need God to do. So the abomination of desolation will be a time of unusual hardship. But third, it will be a time of unparalleled tribulation. 
And this explains why pregnant and nursing mothers are to be pitied. This explains why petition is prescribed that the abomination doesn't take place during the winter. Why? Jesus says in verse 19, for those days, look at that, for those days will be a time of tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the creation which God created until now and never shall. Jesus doesn't mince any words at all. The time of the abomination of desolation will be days of tribulation, will be days of trouble, will be days of affliction, etc. And Jesus says it will be a time of great tribulation. But really, he goes beyond that. He says this time in the future, associated with the abomination of desolation, it's going to be a time of the greatest tribulation. Not just a time of great tribulation, but the time of the greatest tribulation. There will be no tribulation throughout the course of the history of planet Earth that will compare with the tribulation that occurs in the future during the tribulation period. And the emphasis is not God pouring out his wrath upon planet Earth, which he will do during the tribulation period. But the emphasis that Jesus is talking about is how the people of God, the followers of Jesus, those who love Jesus, those who are his elect, they will be the ones afflicted and tribulated by those who hate God. And that's why I always have to remind us, being a Christian is not a call to an easy life. Being a Christian is not a call to being exempt from the hardships and difficulties of life. During this future period, associated with this abominable, detestable thing that produces uh, desolation, Jesus lets us know that his people will experience not just great tribulation, but the greatest of tribulation. Our Lord says that you can search the time period from the beginning of creation. And Jesus makes it clear that God is the creator. The world didn't evolve. The world didn't just come in. God created. Jesus makes that clear. But he says, you can look at the time period from the beginning of creation up until the time that Jesus is speaking these words on the Mount of Olives. And he says, you search that time period. And guess what? You're not going to find anything during that time period that will measure up in parallel the tribulation that is associated with the abomination of desolation. Now think about that. We, we don't have time to look at all of the affliction and tribulation in the word of God. But if we were to go back to the book of Exodus and think about how the Egyptians 
were afflicted with ten plagues. And how the last one killed their firstborn and the firstborn of their animals. And Jesus says that event does not compare with what's going to happen in the future. Think about all that Israel went went through during their Egyptian bondage at the hands of the Egyptians. They were afflicted. Jesus says that doesn't compare with what's going to happen in the future. Think about when Israel was drawn away to Babylonian captivity for 70 years. All that that happened with regards to the people of God won't compare, won't measure up to what tribulation will be like with the people of God. Jesus says, hey, I'm not just talking about tribulation from the beginning of creation to the time that I'm speaking these words. He says, let's look at another time period. From the time period of me speaking these words to the disciples all the way to the end of the world. And search all that you want and come up with all these atrocities that took place in human history. And none of it will compare with the tribulation that Jesus is talking about. Think about the 250 years of the enslavement of African Americans. Think about the people killed, the atrocities, the rapes, the inhumane treatment. Jesus says it won't compare to the tribulation that God's people are going to experience in the future. Think about what Hitler did to the Jews. Jesus says it won't compare. This time period in the future associated with the abomination of desolation. Yes, Jesus says God will pour out his wrath, but here he's talking about the affliction, the tribulation that the people of God are going to experience. And the tribulation will be so unparalleled that God in his infinite wisdom, in his sovereignty, uh, in verse 20, shorten the days associated with the abomination of desolation. And why did God do that? God did that because if he didn't, then even the elect would not be saved. And when he says the elect would not be saved, he's not talking about spiritually, but physically. He's saying the elect would not make it to the end of that tribulation period. If God had not shortened the day, it's going to be unparalleled tribulation that would kill all flesh. But God says, I've stepped in. I'm in control of all things. I'm not going to let that happen. I shortened the days so that the elect, the ones whom I have chosen, my followers, will be saved physically. And that might not sound like a big deal to us. Why not die and go to heaven? Why go through all the pain and the hardship? 
Because in God's prophetic plan, these individuals who endure are going to be the ones who are alive when Jesus Christ comes back to earth again. And when Jesus sets up his kingdom, they will populate what's known as the millennium. And so it will be a time of unparalleled tribulation. But the last thing that I would want you to see with regards to this horrible, horrific time, that it will be a time of religious deception. And as we come to verses 21 and 22, they remind us of the words that Jesus spoke in verses 5 and 6. When he talked about the beginning of birth pains, he said there will be messianic pretenders. And now, as Jesus talks about this time associated with the abomination that produces desolation, he says that there's going to be religious deception. Individuals are going to pop up during those days, and they're going to proclaim these words. Behold, here is Christ. Here is the Messiah. Oh, behold, he he is there. They're going to make false claims about the Messiah rising and actually being there. And Jesus said to them, do not believe them. Do not believe them. Don't be deceived. Don't be tricked. Know God's prophetic plan. Know that these are false Christ. And the reason why they're not to believe is given in verse 22. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonder in order, if possible, to lead the elect astray. Jesus says there will be a time a tribulation, great tribulation, the greatest tribulation. And during that time, false Christ will pop up. And false prophets who claim to speak for God, who wants to give the individuals at that time, the elect, a word from the Lord. And Jesus said they're going to appear. And not only are they going to appear, they're going to do mar- marvelous acts. He says that they're going to actually do signs and wonders. And we don't know if these are legitimate miracles or not. But the intent of these miracles is that they're persuasive, that they would lead the elect, the people of God, astray. If our gracious God did not step in and prevent it from happening. So there's going to be a time of religious deception. And Jesus ends his words in verse 23 with an amber alert. Remember, we saw two of those last week in verse 5 and verse 9. Amber alert. Take heed. Take heed. Be watchful. Get out of your spiritual sleepiness. Be alert. 
Be awake. Be aware. Jesus said, I, I told you disciples these things so that your head won't be buried in the sand. I told you these things so that you would know beforehand what the future holds. I've told you and predicted to you the abomination of desolation. There will be a time of extreme danger, unusual hardship, unparalleled tribulation, and religious deception. And why did Jesus tell them beforehand? Because as we look back, they, the disciples, didn't experience this tribulation period. They did not see the abomination of desolation. It's still future. But why did he tell them about the future? Because he wanted them to take heed. He wanted them to live watchful lives. He wanted them to live like their heads were not buried in the sand. He wanted them to pay attention to God and to his word. So it's a call for watchful living. And that's the call to us. I don't believe that the church will be around when this happens. But that doesn't mean I can just go live any way that I want. I should live in light of this reality. And I should be alert. I should take heed. I should pay attention to my life so that I'm living the way that God wants me to live. I should be alert and watchful to make sure that when Jesus says, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Am I doing that? When Jesus gives a double command to love, to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others as your neighbor, am I watchful? Am I paying attention that I'm doing that? These prophetic words of Jesus, this great prophetic message, is to result in believers taking heed. If anybody ought to be alert and sensitive and aware of what's going on. It ought to be us. This is the second part of Jesus' great prophetic message. And Lord willing, we'll see the final part next Sunday when Jesus predicts the second coming of Jesus Christ, the planet Earth. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this great prophetic message of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that was given not for us to have prophecy conferences or to write books on the end times, but was given that we might live ethical lives in the light of what will happen in the future. Father, may the prophetic message of Jesus, particularly what he has said about the prediction of the abomination that produces desolation, may the things that we have considered this morning, this afternoon, may you use them to cause us 
to respond to the Amber Alert, to cause us to take heed, to cause us to live watchful lives. Help us to pay attention to our doctrine. Help us to pay attention to our duty and how we are to live. May this great prophetic message of our Lord not be wasted upon us as the people of God, but may it lead to godly living. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.